All right. This is episode three of The Mind of Sanity and uh, also part three of uh, the LDS Church and uh, Helena's journey throughout. Um, so I'm actually just going to leave it up to her on this one. Uh, the church came back into her life and in a very interesting way. Helena? Yeah, so the interesting thing is, you know, the church has been kind of off and on throughout my life in the last few years. Um, you know, it's been a lot of cases of me kind of doing like a push and pull in my own brain of do I believe, do I not believe, what do I believe, what don't I believe, um, kind of running things through my own personal filter, I guess. And I didn't, like, I knew I had trauma from the church, but honestly, what kind of helped me realize the extent of it was actually going to therapy. <laughs> and a lot of why I went to therapy was um, mainly just tied to this to the school shooting. Again, I already mentioned I got PTSD from it. It was really traumatizing. Um, but I also sought therapy because I was finding out that I'm probably autistic. You're welcome. <laughs> I was and, the one that uh, uh, opened that uh, door. Right. And I hadn't realized in my life and a medical professional recommended that I go to therapy because my therapist might be able to tell um, through prolonged interactions and everything, whether or not that was a high enough probability to warrant spending the money on the testing. I honestly didn't get very far into test into my therapy before I realized, like, you know, I just need to get the testing done. I need to know kind of thing. Um, more from my own mental health and benefits than anything else. So um, that was probably the, the thing that was pushed me to therapy because I knew, already knew I had trauma from the shooting and uh, and that was something I did want to address. And then this was also a, another good thing that I could find to talk about with a therapist, you know? And um, the thing is, this, this wasn't the, f the first time I'd gone to therapy. This was actually time number two. So to kind of explain some of me leaving the church and kind of how it's been for me over the last few years, I kind of have to rewind a little bit. Um, probably closer to like 2018 or so, I want to say. Um, I was still working on my bachelor's degree at the time. Um, because after the school shooting that happened my second year of college, I ended up taking a third year in college just to kind of, I, I guess, help me get on track a little bit because right after the shooting, I, um, struggled a little bit. I didn't meet all of the requirements that I needed to because I needed more of a outlet, like an educational outlet than I needed to, to, to just meet the requirements. So I took a lot more art classes, I took a lot more like yoga classes, things which kind of helped center me rather than focusing 100% on my, you know, I guess, way out the doorway into college and my degree. So um, I took some time for my brain to breathe, I guess. And I did three years on my associates before going on to get my bachelor's at a different university. And um. As I was getting my degree, which was in environmental studies, it's an extremely depressing degree because, um, you know, you're talking about infant mortality rates. You're talking about um, racism in the environment, water rights issues. Are you saying that racism and water rights issues and <laughs> infant mortality somehow in some way led you back to the church? <laughs> Man. That's more a... like away from the church. <laughs> so again, it's, it's a very de depressing kind of thing to study. It's literally like, you know, the earth going to shit, you know? Yeah. And it's nonstop depressing stuff. Um, I was still torn up from the shooting naturally because 
I convinced myself that I didn't need to see a therapist because my situation was not as bad as others. So I turned down essentially free free resources um, because I didn't think that I needed them or I didn't need them as badly as other people did, even though I definitely needed them, even though my situation was different, you know? I still had trauma, even if I wasn't, like, in the exact room or anything like that. So, <clears throat> in getting this degree, my brain started to feel like it was literally coming apart. I felt like I was going absolutely insane. I was, you know, a full-time student. I was commuting an hour to school and back. So, two hours total of driving, usually Monday through Friday. <laughs> I was um, working part-time as well. And it was just a lot of things on my plate, a lot of really depressing things, and my mental health was already not good to begin with. So it reached a point where I realized, like, I am not going to graduate if I don't get help. So at that point, I went to, um, to go see one of the therapists that they had at the university. As a student, I could get discounted um, counseling, basically, because they tied it into their... Um, their therapy and psychiatric program, basically. So it was a graduate student um, who was supervised by um, an actual licensed professional who's kind of helping me coach through it. So um, I was getting therapy through that way, and it was primarily just getting me through the school, like the last like year in particular of school, and um, giving me that emotional support, the emotional outlet, um, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy type work. And um, when I was in that, I started to realize, hey, I definitely have anxiety. That was one of the first times where I had someone diagnose me with anxiety was one of the doctors that I, that I saw in order to get started on this therapy. They were like, oh, you definitely have social anxiety and probably some, you know, general anxiety too. Like 100%. Like at this point, every single medical professional I've seen has been like, you have social anxiety. You have social anxiety. And this was when they were first, when I was first starting to realize that. And I already knew that I had some form of anxiety and I already knew that I wasn't like completely mentally 100% there. I'd, I'd spent hours and hours and hours, especially as a teen, trying to figure out what's different about me, what's off about me. I know now that I'm, you know, freaking autistic <laughs> and ADHD. And have social anxiety, but I didn't. I didn't know that. And you're at the bisexual. Time. And I'm bisexual. And I didn't know a lot of these things at the time at all. Um. So this was my first realization that oh hey I have anxiety. And as I was going through therapy, I was kind of given information that helped me learn to identify the signs of anxiety. And I know this seems like a bit of a tangent because we're talking about my journey leaving the church. But I feel like it's an important one to bring up Yeah. because as I was being taught the signs for anxiety, I started to slowly put two and two together because when I was in church, I used to like, especially in like group settings and um, meetings and stuff like that, I used to feel like I was getting prompted by the spirit to um, say a specific thing that popped into my head or to participate in a certain way in classes or something like that. Usually it involved me wanting to say something in class because something popped up into my head and I would feel this really strong, like, like if I would feel like a physical change in my body. My hands would start to shake or get sweaty. My heart would start beating faster. My stomach would get in knots. I'd feel a little bit weird and different. You know what's weird? You know the only thing that jumped in my head when you said that? Mom's is sweaty. Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> the point 
since I'd have like a physical change and growing up, I was convinced that that was me having a spiritual moment. That was a spirit telling me you need to say what just came into your head. And in therapy, I started realizing that the symptoms I was experiencing was anxiety because not only had it popped up, you know, I was, I was kind of piecing together the signs from learning what they were in therapy, but also the same exact thing would happen in classes at university. Why would the spirit be telling me to answer a math problem? Why would the spirit be telling me to raise my hand and participate in a discussion on global warming or something? You know, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But I kind of like brushed it down, like whatever, it doesn't matter. Like it didn't happen as often because I didn't like talking too much in class. (laughs) But once I started learning what the signs were for anxiety, I was like, oh, oh, those experiences weren't the spirit. They were my anxiety. I just didn't know. And that on its own started to undermine my idea of um, what was or wasn't a spiritual experience, what I did or did not actually experience in the church. And um, it kind of started to open my eyes. And during this time, you know, I'm still growing as a person. I still mostly believe in the church and all this stuff. I'm trying to figure everything out. And that was kind of, like, all I really thought about. I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's kind of frustrating. Like, that's kind of annoying. Like, it was just anxiety, whatever, you know? It but is I was, a, kind I, of a fucked up realization. Yeah, and, and I still thought that I probably had spiritual experiences and I, stuff I think, like that. Uh, I think it's important to, uh, to mention how important spiritual and, like, the spirit feeling it, blah, blah. Like, like, like I remember going to the Mormon, like, with the missionaries and whatnot. And they'd straight up be like, you know, just pray on it and you'll feel the spirit. You'll feel it in your heart. Yeah, and you'll and that will help build your testimony. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Literally, they base so much off of just having, like, a spiritual experience. Even things like, you know, they always tell people who are looking into joining the church or converts or something, like, read the Book of Mormon, afterwards pray about it, see how you feel kind of thing. And, yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of one of their selling points are these spiritual experiences. And for me to suddenly realize that a lot of what I thought were spiritual experiences was just my anxiety, that kind of shook me. Because it's like, what can I honestly think at this point was a spiritual experience? Like, that wasn't just, that wasn't just, just anxiety. anxiety. And I know that there were other things, like, you know, there would be emotional things that happen at, like, girls camp or something like that. But these are all extremely high, intense emotional situations. Yeah. Even if I wasn't wanting to say anything or anything like that. Other people around me were crying, really emotional, um, felt moved, like whatever it might be. It became a group thing. I want to point out all those things can cause anxiety (laughs) as well because someone's crying, even in like a good moment. Yeah. When everyone around you is crying, that's. It doesn't make, at least it makes me super fucking anxious, whether it's for good reasons or not. Not just that, like if I see someone crying, like, part of me wants to cry too. You know, like, I want to make sure that they're fine. I don't know how to react. I'm probably not the best person in those situations. But, like, part of me wants to cry if I see someone hurting or crying. And while they weren't necessarily hurting, they, they were still crying. Yeah. You know, so it's already set up to be an environment which will kind of make you feel an emotion. Yeah. You know, the environment itself creates that product. And um, that kind of made it difficult when I did realize that what I did, like what I legitimately thought was a spiritual experience or me being moved to talk was just my anxiety. Yeah. And that kind of, that kind of shook me, not going to lie. 
But, you know, in the years after, like, I only went to therapy for, I don't know, maybe half a year to a year, and then I graduated, and that that was that. I was like, I'm, I'm fine now, I'm good, everything's great, <laughs> you know? But I was still kind of do, doing a little bit of research here and there, um, primarily living in denial, <laughs> you know, not, not really to, not willing to fully face everything, but also just trying to figure everything out, because... The difficult thing about leaving a church, especially like the Mormon church, is it controls every single aspect of your being. Like in, in my case, at least, it, you know, and in a lot of cases, it controlled um, not just ideas on like why I, why I exist, what the purpose is on earth, what the purpose is after death, which are all major things, you know, like those are key life defining things, but also it impacted, you know, what I did or didn't consume how I talked, how I thought, how I behaved, what my purpose in my physical life was, because I wanted to be an architect for the church. Man, it almost sounds like you were in a cult. Oh, no. But the point is, like, it, it, it impacts every single little thing. And I wasn't going to, ch- to church or anything. I'd kind of, at, at a certain point, been like, you know, or- organize re- like, religion isn't for me, but, you know, if the gospel's true, the gospel's true. That was kind of where I was at, which even then it doesn't stand up to, like, how the church is structured, because in the church to get to, like, the highest level of everything and actually receive all of your blessings and all this stuff, it requires you to do certain things in the temple to do, like, to, to basically meet certain milestones, certain markers, check off a box. So even then, like, I was living in this constant state of, like, almost cognitive dissonance where, like, I thought one thing, acted one thing, and then maybe also believed the opposite. Like they, they were literally just butting heads against each other nonstop. Yeah. Uh, so I can't remember what the thing is. The idea of two facts being in your brain at the same time that contradict each other are impossible. You cannot keep that. Like you can fight it. Some people fight it for years. Some people fight it for minutes. You know. Yeah. The fact is, when you get two facts in your brain, you know, one of them will win out as fact. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, like, one of them you'll realize is not actually true. Yeah. I think with that, like, like with everything that you were raised with, with all the church and, like, its structure, you knew that was what you were supposed to have. Yeah. But then when you have, you know, years without it, you're happier-ish, you know, <laughs> You're, we're literally talking about you being in therapy. <laughs> um, but like years without it, you realize, no, I can live without it. And like, but I, you know, the gospel is true, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, so those they are of, like, they should align. Those are two contradicting yeah, facts in and your brain. Exactly. And like, I already knew things like I didn't agree with their LGBT policies. I thought there were a lot of really messed up things that are a product of the church or are taught by the church. And I was trying in my brain to still find a way to, like, make it all make sense, even as I was trying to, like, kind of grow as a person. Like I said, I I ended up eventually realizing that I was bisexual. I was so repressed and had so many negative views about anything related to LGBT from church that it took a long time for me even just to come to terms with that. So it's, like, it's it's been years, and I'm probably still going to be doing it for years. It's just kind of peeling away everything bit by bit. Um, like one of the first things to go, for example, was my dream. Like I had a dream to be an architect for the church, but how could I be an architect for the church if I wasn't an active member, you know? And even then I'd always had doubts they would even accept me as an architect. 
like I don't know if they have any female architects or not but I was honestly even as a teen worried that they wouldn't just because I was a female yeah you know and like they would rather me be home or have a kid or something like that you know and I, I was always kind of worried about that but I was like oh it'll it'll it'll, it'll figure itself out you know I'm, I'm stubborn I'll keep trying and then you know I, I started already, growing I, can we just go over that real quick like that it, itself is a trauma like trauma well that's kind of where I was gonna go because I, I like gonna, yeah it's yeah like, like you you like want to do this for the church and you think it'll be great for the church and I did it while you're actively <laughs> thinking that they probably or might not let you because yeah. you're a woman in their view and, and even like that and yeah. that, just being in that, like, thinking about that for me now is just like, <laughs> what? Yeah. That sounds awful to live with. Yeah. And even deeper than that, it's like, you know, I already know what they think about careers and all that stuff. Like, they'd prefer I'd be a mom. I didn't want to be a mom at all. Even if they let me have the career, whatever, you know. But, um, you know, as, as you're kind of stepping back a little bit, it's like, hey, I didn't think that I could even have my dream anymore. But then I realized, like, like that's when I started to realize that everything was dictated by the church. Yeah. That's like, I cool. hadn't fully realized. And I was like, oh, even my dream in life is. Like, what, what, what is my purpose now? Like, what am I supposed to be doing with myself? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And um, even the very reason of me wanting to be an architect for the church, I started to realize over time, was the kind of a trauma response. Because, you know, I already had known I'd wanted to be an architect. And then it became I wanted to be an architect for the church. And I would constantly try to circle back to that, especially in like a group setting or when like men were around or something like that. Because I wanted to prove that even if I wasn't a mom, I would still be valuable to the church. So it was like me trying to to show that I am enough. But it had to be for some form of productivity. It couldn't just be because I existed. And they have this big thing about how we're children of God and all this stuff, but they only really act in a lot of ways like you are a child of God if you do what they want you to do. So even just the fact that I wanted to be an architect for the church was still me responding to a trauma of them saying, you should be a mom. And me being like, but I don't want to be a mom and trying to, to, to prove myself. So, you know, for the last few years, I've been honestly in just kind of a state of denial because I didn't really want to turn away from everything that I've been taught, but I was struggling with so many issues related to what I'd been taught, you know, and it was all I knew. And I was starting to slowly realize things like, you know, I can be happy and do things that the church won't approve of, like even just having a cup of coffee, you know, like the church would really frown on that. I was like, it's just a drink. Like I remember when I was probably like, I think around 11 or 12, I've already mentioned before that I'm homeschooled, but my mom had me write an essay at one point about the health benefits of coffee and tea and which one's better. Cause she wanted me to do my own like research, basically tied to the word of wisdom, which is, as I mentioned, like kind of like their, their guidelines on, um, you know, no, no drugs, no alcohol, that kind of thing is a lot of how it's mentioned. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I spent quite a few hours just looking up all the health benefits of coffee and tea and turns out green tea is the healthier, healthiest of them. (laughs) And, um, still also tastes the worst, but all right, (laughs) let's just uh, ignore that fact. I found that kind of like an arbitrary kind of 
requirement of the church because especially like even little things like you know i grew up also hearing stories about you know how they'd have to clean up after like the meeting that the guys would have because they'd be spitting out their tobacco on the floor and stuff like that so i grew up with stories like that but then i'm like but they they tell us not to smoke you know they, they tell us not not to, to participate in anything like that. i was like that doesn't make any sense yeah i was like whatever you know like that's just a requirement i don't care like i don't really care if i drink coffee like i whatever. also want to point out just really fun fact for you about coffee too much coffee is terrible for yeah. your health however in moderation it can make you live longer most things are fine in moderation no no in moderation like coffee yeah. actually has benefits it's yeah. just it's one of those things that that needs and, to be moderated you yeah. shouldn't drink three coffees but instead in like an hour instead like of having something like that though <laughs> instead of having like something like that though church members would instead drink these super caffeinated really unhealthy super sugary drinks thinking it's okay when those are so much worse for your body than having just like a small cup of tea or yeah. having a coffee you know like just don't load your coffee or your tea up with a ton of sugars and sweeteners and stuff and you're good but a little bit's fine and it's better than a whole bunch of artificial crap yeah you know and um kind of forgot why we went on to this but um, um the therapy and how oh, we, yeah, we so, led over to you coming getting <laughs> so more involved in to, the church in yeah. a very interesting way yeah so i was even just starting to realize that, like you know it's there, there's nothing wrong with you know, having a drink now and then there's nothing wrong with drinking coffee and even just me doing those things to begin like first of all it took years for me to even do anything that was against like the church in terms of behaviors yeah smoking the devil's lettuce was difficult to get you to do <laughs> yeah because um, like growing- drinking alcohol was actually harder than uh marijuana like way harder granted yeah. at the time i also couldn't drink so it wasn't really a big deal yeah. but like i remember like you just having a real hard time just just trying to drink um uh weed was a little bit easier because like all of our friends were also smoking weed so you were in a safe place to like i only really tried it when i was like chopped that exhausted and i was like i just need to sleep yeah yeah (laughs) you know so i would Um, use it like a sleeping aid yeah no i got it uh sometimes it's good like it's not the best sleeping aid per se but damn does it work um at least gets you sleeping for x amount of hours so you can at least feel like you got something yeah but point is it took me years even just to be like comfortable with anything like that yeah um and a lot of it was because like i wanted to figure out for myself you know i wanted to decide on my own independent of anything that the church said whether something was right or wrong like you know there's some things that are naturally wrong like you know murder and like all that garbage you know like yeah, that's already a little weird for lds uh and their history uh on whether yeah. murder is wrong or not but we'll get to but that the point is like i already knew like for myself like those things were wrong but i was like okay well let's let's start testing some of these things a little bit so you know i would have a cup of coffee when i was legitimately worried i would have a car accident on my long drive home from school you know like if, if it felt like a safety thing that's when i would start to get my toe in like okay is this really as wrong as a church would say yeah. and it's like you know what no just be healthy be safe and you're good yeah. you know everything in moderation um and i started to be like okay well i i i don't understand why some of these are against the policies um like like it, it just wasn't making as much sense but i couldn't do that to the same level with spiritual things yeah or with kind of some of the deeper things um and uh you know i could easily give up everything like that i tried again if i ever did go back to church like i could drop it in a heartbeat like i wouldn't care you know but um 
So are you saying you can stop drinking at any time? Because that's mm-hmm. what alcoholics say. <laughs> <laughs> so the church is right. One sip and you're an alcoholic. <laughs> Got it. Uh, anyway, sorry. Continue. But, um, anyways, I decided, you know, I'm going to go back to therapy a second time. And I wasn't really expecting anything to come up with religion, per se. I was just expecting it to be shooting and am I autistic or not? And then we started digging in and digging in. And I'm like, I've been avoiding a lot of stuff related to religion. And I had to start, I guess, properly taking a look. And um, it was not easy. Yeah? Yeah. Um, how so, Helena? Well, when, when you're raised in it, you know, you are growing up under the assumption that what you're being taught is completely the truth. Everything is the best way or the only way to be happy. It's the only way to receive, you know, the highest levels of glory and happiness in heaven. And you know, what the Jesuit, I think the Jesuit said, what? get them young and the possibilities are endless. Yeah, and um, I think it's a Jesuit. To, I think that's how it's pronounced too. Don't quote me on the pronunciation, <laughs> but uh, it is a saying uh, from I believe it was the Jesuits. It's actually in the movie uh, Unleashed. The guy keeps saying it's like why mom says if you get them young enough, the possibilities are endless. And the guy literally goes, "It, it was the Jesuits that said that." And he <laughs> the the answer from the bad guy is, "Yeah, they probably got it from my mom." <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so you have to start going layer by layer and by layer and you realize just how deep the indoctrination goes well the idea that you're being baptized at eight is like anyone like like, like where i'm at at this point when it comes to that stuff and I, I had an issue with it even when i was going to church i remember arguing with people like no eight is not old enough like it's eight you're fucking yeah. eight years old you know and when i was eight years old i want to be a fireman like I have asthma, all right? There was no way I was going to be a fireman. I couldn't go outside in the wintertime and take three steps without, like, having an asthma attack. But I was going to be a fucking fireman. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make any sense. But, like, I, I've gotten to a point where basically I'm at, like, if you believe eight years old is young enough to make a decision about baptism, you're either, you're you're Mormon. And if you think that there, if there's an issue you have with the idea of an eight-year-old being baptized um, being able to make that kind of decision easily and like correctly, you know, odds are you're not Mormon. Like, you know what I mean? Like those are the only two categories for this conversation. Either you're for it and you're Mormon or you're against it and you're just not Mormon. You know what I mean? So like, it's a, it's a really like that alone is just indoctrination. I'm sorry. Continue. Uh, you layers of indoctrination peeling them back. Sorry. Yeah. And just realizing to a more, extreme degree just how toxic a lot of things that I learned were or realizing the things that the church may not have said or skirts around or changed or um in other ways avoids taking care of it they they avoid their dark side like I was avoiding looking at them during all those years you know yeah and um it's honestly probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Like, it'd be way easier just to stay in the church. But for one, even just just being bisexual, even though I'm married to a dude, I've yet to be with a female, you know? Even just knowing that I am part of the LGBT community, 
is still a, a massive thing, you know? Yeah. Um, let alone, you know, I, I, I now know that I'm autistic, but I didn't know for a, a very, very long time. And part of it is because of how easy it is to fit into just one group. Cause I, I was homeschooled. So the only social group that I had really was the church and to, to mask up and fit into just one group with a very clear set of guidelines and rules and regulations and all these things was really easy. And it helped contribute my being autistic going under the radar for years and years and years and years. That and, you know, family not paying the fuck attention. Yeah, but then, that's another podcast <laughs> that I feel like that I should have your sister involved in, you, and yeah. I'll just, I'll ask the questions and let y'all go at it. But anyway, again, I apologize. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I just started to realize that, you know, I did not feel like I could honestly be a member of the church in any capacity. More like it would be healthier for me to completely leave and turn in my letter to formally leave, um, for the longest time, like I'd considered it, but I held off on the concerns that a, my family would find out and I just did not want to deal with that. But B, that them finding out would really hurt them because in, in the eyes of, you know, Mormons, they have this idea that, you know, families are for are forever. And, um, you know, it, it's literally like the biggest selling point of the church is that you'll get to be with your family for eternity. And by completely removing my membership from the church, you have to give up all of the blessings, all of the promises, everything that you have kind of worked towards. And in leaving to them, I was worried it could be like me saying, hey, I don't want to be with you forever. I don't mm. love you enough kind of thing. Yeah. And I think for a long time I used it as an excuse to avoid putting myself first. Yeah. Because um, one thing that the church also kind of does, especially to, to females growing up, is um, kind of teaches you not to take up space, to prioritize other people's needs, to have caring instincts for others but they don't necessarily do much about taking care of yourself about looking inwards prioritizing your own well-being it's very much a help everyone else kind of thing mm -hmm. um, not a lot of self-reflection <laughs> you know so um, in, in, in doing documents to Self removal of self reflection is a way to indoctrinate because well, you don't not, have a chance. To. Not just that, but if you do self reflection, it's more self reflection of am I being enough? Am I doing everything I need to? Am I, you know, am I being a sinner? Am I following God's commandments? It's it's more in terms of are you following the church? Mm -hmm. It's less of am I happy? Am I healthy? Am I safe? How can I better my mental health? Anything like that. Um, so it's already the kind of culture that doesn't really encourage you in some ways to to prioritize yourself. It's almost always turning it to someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think I mentioned before, like the the um, emphasis at the church on community work, on um, helping others and stuff like that. It honestly is really beautiful in a lot of ways. Um, Until you get into the nitty gritty and realize that what you're doing <laughs> is mentally unhelpful, help, uh, healthy for the people that are like, actually doing it like yeah and if you aren't healthy yourself constantly being pushed to only take care of others does not help yeah you're gonna get drained you're, you're gonna get drained you're gonna get burned out it's going to be 
absolutely exhausting because like you want to do these things you feel like you need to do some of these things but like if, if you're like I said if you're neurodivergent if you're struggling with depression anxiety anything like that like you're going to be struggling sometimes just day to day let alone hey we need you to go to this church calling hey we need you to go visit so-and-so they're sick hey we have this group event we're going to go pick apples for the hungry like mm. whatever it might be it takes a lot of energy and you sometimes just don't always have that kind of energy um so like while while it's beautiful in a lot of ways and while it does instill some great senses of purpose in its members it's always kind of external it's kind of i don't want to say putting on a show but like kind of putting on a show but kind of putting on a show um showing that we're great mormon members that the church is so charitable and so Not helpful for the community walk. yeah and you, you don't really get the chance to look inward at just your basic core things because it tells you that the church is how to be happy Mm. so if you're not happy are you doing enough are you doing things right you know it's not is this actually a good fit for me oh that sounds incredibly unhealthy (laughs) yeah like like you know like one one example um i was probably 14 15 at the time um we used to live probably good 30 40 minutes away from the church building and we would drive over there you know at least twice a week usually and there was one time we drove all the way there and I just I couldn't get myself to get out of the car I just eventually broke down crying and I was like I don't I don't like people I don't want to deal with them right now I don't I I feel like they're putting me in a box like they're putting me in a cage like, I will never be what they need me to be or want me to be, but I can't be me. You know, like, there's a reason growing up people like Eowyn resonated so much with me because she talks about, you know, being in a cage and being restricted to doing certain things, taking care of the family instead of being the warrior that she wants to be. Protect her you know? the small. Yeah, the one of the lioness. The lioness. Um, so many females, even Mulan, you know? Mulan very much like she was always my favorite growing up because like she did not fit the mold of the rest of the society she was in she knew she could do more she knew she could help and she wanted to help save her family and her dad you one know? of my favorite parts of the disney's Mulan too as well like as well as that the like, good one the animated one not, not the other one <laughs> <laughs> yes fuck the live action um no so one of my favorite parts of that movie uh was that in order to win at the end of that movie, she like not only does she have to be a woman, she has to be who she is. Yeah. Um, the guys have to dress up like women. They and, have to accept her. Well, no, they, they yeah. have to they themselves have to do what she did, yeah. which is become a woman to save the day. because uh, you know, I, I thought that was really interesting. Like uh I know like Frozen gets like the first uh first Disney movie to not have a female protagonist who needs a man's help. Yeah. Um, but like, goddamn, um, Mulan. I think to me it will always be better just for the oh, fact for sure. is, yeah, she needed men's help. But in order for them to help, they had to dress like women, which I think is not really just that. Important. But if you also like put it in perspective, you got like an individual path and a journey versus you're literally at war and there's like a lot of enemies to take down. You kind of need numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and know? like honestly, what what is between your legs does not fucking matter. Yeah, and she can you kill the enemy independently on her own at the end? You yeah. know. 
Um, anyway, yeah, so keep going. Yeah, uh, so that's my character heroes. book that always resonated with me. Like, even people like Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc was one of my biggest, like, like heroes, I well, guess. Well, don't worry, Helena. We haven't got to it yet. But guess who was baptized <laughs> by the LDS Church? Oh, gosh. That's right. Joan of Arc. But again, <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. But point is, like, they, they were the ones who resonated with me because they didn't fit what society told them that they had to be. And I'm realizing now, like, you know, it also ties into the whole I was also autistic kind of thing. And bisexual. And bisexual. My brain did not fit the norm. But with what I already did know, I knew that it was not happy or a healthy situation or place for me. Uh-huh. Like, so I, I literally wound up just having an emotional breakdown in the car, refusing to go in. To the point where my mom had to go to the church leaders and be like, hey, um, my daughter's really struggling with some of what you guys have been saying in your classes and how kind of sexist and wrong a lot of it is. It's not very inclusive. Like she had to go have a full on conversation with my, especially my young women's leaders and explain to them why I would not go into that, into the church building right now because I was freaking out. Yeah. And um, yeah, just a, a full emotional breakdown and it was not... I, th- I think that that point was when I was really starting to realize like how how wrong it was. Like this was me as a teen, so it's not like, you know, when I was an adult, everything started like adding up. It was like I'd already started to see the red flags. You know, um, it's it's actually okay. I feel like it's less like I started to see the red flags. It's more like I started to recognize them as red flags. Because if you grow up in a field of red flags and everyone tells you they're daisies, you're gonna think that they're daisies. Until eventually you come to the realization that, no, these are actually red flags, you know? And I feel like it was starting to become that kind of case because I was like, I, I am not happy. I am not healthy. Like, this is this is hurting me as a person. And um, fun how much you can repress and then realize years later, isn't it? Exactly. And that's kind of what I started to realize some in therapy. And even before then, too, like, I think I've been doing some of this work for a really long time even while I was actively avoiding it, you know, um, I was just kind of, kind of just realizing and struggling and hurting in a lot of ways. Um, another example would actually be shortly after marriage. I hadn't realized how much I'd internalized the toxic side of sex and um, children and that kind of thing. I knew that I didn't want to have kids and I knew that it really bothered me that everyone since I was like a kid to a teen was saying you're gonna want kids you should have kids this is the only way to be happy like I already knew that that was kind of upsetting and wrong to me but um this is probably a little getting to TMI a little bit but we're already talking about all the rest but like you know right after marriage like you know we, we went to have sex for the first time and I reacted like I was being raped because the idea was so strong in my head that I had to stay pure, that I had to stay clean, and that if we had sex, I would have a kid. And um, I really didn't want kids, and I didn't want to be wrong or impure or anything like that, even though we were married and in a happy, consenting relationship. Like, I wanted it. But my brain overrode it with everything I've been indoctrinated in such an unhealthy way. That it took years for me to get past those internal monologues and actually enjoy sex and like have a healthy relationship with my own body. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That sexual repression is one of the most unhealthy things I think there is in the world, and uh, religion in general. I 
I find does do that um, a lot. The LDS one takes the cake. <laughs> I think kind of takes the cake sometimes when it comes to just. I know so many ex Mormons and you know ex Mormons who have told me about their own sexual repression, but like I'll meet Mormons to this day. I'll meet particularly. Particularly, particularly, particularly women who I'm just like, yo, you are married for 20 years and you are like, you know, like this is, this is weird. Like this is sexual repression, what you're describing right now. Um, and that goes for uh, women who have been married for 20 years, women who are still single, like, like young men and men who were in the church like it's a it's a universal thing but i think women get the and again this is all opinion based for me but like a hundred percent i would say women get the brunt of it unfortunately um which is kind of which it also makes sense because again they it's play women. such an emphasis. <laughs> that's just kind of what happens anyway <laughs> well yes they play such an emphasis on women being there to have kids yeah, and not being yeah. there to find the calling and right. all of this stuff you know so, so it is so strongly associated with just that it's not necessarily on finding the enjoyment finding the release whatever it might be it's just let's have kids kind of stuff and then when you add in that they have so many issues with so many things which a would help bring pleasure to the woman but uh, but also um you mean knowing what the fuck you like? Like, understanding how your own body works? Or toys, or... Oh, toys are so fun. Or anything BDSM, or even just oral sex, or anything like that. All fun. Know? All fun. <laughs> but, like, it, it, it leads to a very unhealthy mix. And, like, for a lot of people, they don't struggle as much with that. Like, I know for me, I probably had a more extreme case because um, mm. it took a long time to get past and there are times where I still struggle a little bit too with it mm-hmm. and um, being bisexual in some ways doesn't help either <laughs> you yeah. know because like well I never considered myself to be you know anti-LGBT or trans- like transphobic or anything like that like when I think about the things that I did believe in some of my behaviors and thoughts about it and all the stuff I'm like I technically was yeah and the other bits of that that's really important to understand is like when you are everyone else was too well no i was gonna say is when you are when you are bisexual you know or gay or whatever it is and you're internalizing that those that behavior as they like to call it is sinning it's bad it's going to keep you from heaven it's going to keep you away from your families which is a big thing the lds church like Mm -hmm. you've mentioned this many times at this point yeah family is so important and they do use the idea of sinning if you sin you can't be with your families being gay is a sin if you're gay you can't be with your families and then we're back to elderops and then (laughs) they take it a step further and say that even the kids of lgbt families can't get like baptized and stuff yeah they like have that. to disown their parents pretty much yeah. yeah so it's like they didn't just do that they took it a step further yeah but then they'll say like oh no we, we love you know lgbt people we have a whole website for them you know we support them they just they just have to you know live a celibate life they, they can't partake in the sins of the flesh like yeah. 
all these things. It's like, but at the same time, you're telling this person that they can't find love. No. You know, you're telling them like we can have this, but you can't have this. Yeah. And that what that them wanting it is even just wrong and sinful and disgusting. And and now the other one I've heard is like, oh no, they can find love. They you know they just can't be gay. And it's like. So yeah, they can find they can find someone that loves them and they, they can love. fake it the rest of their life. <laughs> yeah, but like that that leads you wide open to sexual trauma in the mm-hmm. sense that you are repressing a part of you and like yeah, maybe you will have an emotional connection with someone of the opposite sex. You know what yeah. I mean? While you're gay and can get married and have kids, this there's a dude yeah. who isn't. And by the way, he himself does not recommend this lifestyle. But at the same time, a lot of people like sex is important. You know, uh, sex is super important for your own mental health and well-being. Sexual health is important. And the idea of, like, repressing that part of you is so unhealthy. So, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too, because, like, you can even go a little bit further with some of these things. Like, another example might be I knew a woman who just never got married. I, I... I'm guessing she wasn't straight, but I can't say, you know, but this woman was one of the best women that I ever knew in the church. Like she was super cool, you know, and, um, she, she just never got married. She never found the right person. That's all it was, you know? And, um, even just the way that the culture affected her because, you know, she, she never got married, never had kids, nothing like that. She was, kind of looked down on and pitied and treated differently because she she didn't she she wasn't like everyone else you know and she was super super nice you know like honestly one of the best people I've ever met and it, it definitely hurt her it definitely made her struggle quite a bit with her own faith and everything else just because you know she was treated different just because she hadn't met the right person. Like, she was still, at least as far as I know, like, you know, hadn't had sex or anything like that. She's a sweet lady in, like, her 40s or 50s, you know? And she was very, very happy. She's like, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. But being around, you know, these people who make you feel like you are missing out on something does not help. Yeah. And um, this kind of goes back into how if you don't fit the mold, you, you're not going to get a good, healthy relationship out of it. Like, another example would be, this lady that I knew who um, was in a mixed religion household. Her husband was very devoutly Jewish. They had, uh, I want to say three kids and their kids were allowed to decide where they wanted to go for church if they wanted to at all. Uh, I don't know where the older brother went. I wasn't, I didn't know him very much. He wasn't my age. You know, I was pretty young at this time, but um, I know one of them didn't go to church very much, just kind of sporadically. And then not at all after a while. And the youngest one did go to church quite a bit. I think she went on a mission, I want to say, but I'm not 100% sure. You know, very, very nice family. This this lady was honestly probably the person I would most say fits the mold of being a follower of Christ. In the sense that she loved everyone unconditionally. She always wanted to support everyone. Um, Sounds like she was uh, doing some mentally unhealthy stuff personally, <laughs> but hey. Honestly, yes. But again, she, she was just one of the women that I really admired, one of the people who I looked up to and I thought, you know, this woman's amazing. Like she she's literally like the nicest person I've ever met. And yes, it wasn't an unhealthy way. Like she she did get kind of stepped on a little bit and 
and all this stuff, but, um, but because she was in a mixed religion household, it was not uncommon for people to, again, kind of pity her or look down on her or treat her very, very different because she was not married to a churchgoer. She was not, um... No, she was just married to somebody who has the same religion as uh, Jesus. You know, that would be shit. Yeah, and like... How dare she? Honestly, I just thought it was kind of interesting and cool. Like, again, I was a kid at this time. I was like maybe eight to ten, actually probably eight or nine. Um, at least when I first knew her. Like, I would go to their ha- to their house around the holidays and I celebrate like Hanukkah with them and all this stuff. Like, it was really fun. You know, like, it was really cool. I got, I got to see a cool insight into, into a different culture. And um, fast forward, I knew her again when I was a teenager, when we moved back into the area. And um, yeah, just an amazing person, but treated so differently just because her husband wasn't of the same faith. So therefore, she wouldn't get the same, um, the same, I guess, level and um, mm-hmm. everything in heaven. She, she would not get all the full blessings, all the full promises, everything like that. She, um, honestly, like, I kept hearing people describe it as she would basically be a servant in heaven. Yes, exactly. It's messed up. And, um, again, the most Christ-like person that I've ever met. And, um, it, it got really bad and really rough for her. And that's just another case of, you know, if you don't fit the mold, it's not necessarily going to be healthy for you. You can still find happiness in it. But in order to, like, fully, truly heal, sometimes you have to let that part go. You know, you have to be willing to realize, like, hey, I can still be happy without church. Like, again, you have to, like, kind of unpack it, I guess, a little bit, because it does tell you that it's, like, one of the only ways to be, like, truly happy or true fulfillment in life is through the church. So you have to, like, eventually learn to realize, like, I can have that without it. Like, I can still be happy. I can still you know, be fulfilled in life. How did, um, I just really want to pull back a little bit. Like how did going to therapy help you figure that one out? Like how did like therapy help you realize um, these things? Like did they just come up naturally when you started talking about your childhood or how did, how was it that therapy led you to this realization? I think it's because I started to realize ways trauma had impacted me mostly like again, in terms of like the shooting or, little things like that, I started to, to recognize what trauma is. Mm-hmm. And in recognizing what trauma is, I started to piece together a little bit more about how religion had played a role in that. Mm. Um, so with therapy, um, it, I guess, gave me an, an avenue to explore what is healthy and what isn't healthy. Okay. So even just when you're thinking about like healthy relationships, for example, at some point I had kind of a major realization for me that um, my relationship with the church was an unhealthy relationship. It was like a very toxic, abusive, um, and uh, I don't know, there's a lot of gaslighting involved, you know? Yeah, there is. Like, uh, it was just, I, I kind of had to realize that it was not a healthy relationship. Like, if I thought about the church as a being, what would be my relationship? And I started to realize it would be like a toxic, overbearing parent. And that's kind of when I realized, like, you know, yes, I do have a lot of good memories of the church, but those memories don't necessarily balance out the rest. And in order to fully heal, I need complete distance. Like, I can't stay a member anymore because, A, I I don't believe it at this point, you know? 
Like, once you get to, like, the doctrinal stuff on top of the trauma stuff, it's like, you know, my my faith in the founder is undermined. My faith in it being the only way to happiness is gone. You know, I I can find purpose without it. I can decide for myself. I can I can be free. And like once you have that realization, it's like why bother? You know? And um I like this. Like this is the journey is very much a one of understanding trauma. And that yeah, that's really cool. Um that's that's just a lot. I yeah. you are incredibly stronger than me because uh my own trauma did not end as well as yours seems to be ending which is great i'm still working through a lot of it because again as i mentioned before like it dictated every single aspect of your life from before after you know future yeah Yeah. like current like everything is dictated by it so you have to like give it all up yeah you know and decide like you know why do i think i exist why like, how, how do I think that I can benefit society and the world and myself? How can I take care of myself? Like, how, like, just everything. You have to, like, literally just wipe your entire slate clean, basically. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's part of why I turned in my letter a couple of weeks ago, because I realized, like, I can't wipe the slate clean while I'm still being contacted constantly by members, while I'm still technically a part of the church and holding on to it for my family, like, at some You're, point that's you have again, to you putting them before you exactly like at some health. point like i have to learn to prioritize myself so if i can't prioritize myself how can i i guess support and properly help other people too and heal and heal like i i have to figure it all out on my own you know and yeah um it's it's not easy therapy is great <laughs> yes huge <laughs> advocates for therapy here um all right yeah that I think uh, I think sums up. Is there more than you want to say? We can definitely continue, but like I think that really sums it up. And we can uh, maybe wrap this one and uh, start on the uh, why you lost <laughs> faith in general. Like you're you're realizing the church as an organization is uh, you know toxic mm-hmm. to you. Uh, I think the next episode will be that uh, deep diving into the doctrine and the history and uh, the undermining the founder of the church and all that good stuff. And you agree? Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's yeah. That's, that's all we got folks. That was great. Um, we'll talk to you next time.